Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. But we are turning this morning to 2 Corinthians again, chapter 8. And uh, two chapters on the topic of generosity. And I did begin this last week and going to complete the uh, second half today. So chapter 8 and reading from verse 16. So Paul writing, he says to the Corinthians, But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal... But being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being administered by us. For the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill, we take this course so that No one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever before of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit, And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Uh, So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Then also chapter 9. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, and I know your readiness of which I boast about to you, uh, to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. Your zeal has stirred up most of them. I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said, you would be. You would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you uh, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift that you promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, uh, at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, uh, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By the approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ 
and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now there's a lot of material there. And I'm going to try and work through it. uh, But uh, we won't do it exactly word for word or verse by verse. But let me pray. Lord, give much wisdom in the delivery of your word today. Pray that this passage would be made clear to us, not only in understanding, but also in application and in Lord practice as we seek to serve and honor you in this particular area of life and ministry. May your spirit, Lord, uh, stir within our hearts, uh, enabling in preaching, and even for each of us in the reception of your word, we pray. Amen. So my daughter, Jamie... Uh, recommended I watch a movie or a documentary series on Netflix. I'm always asking, what is there to watch that at least is decent? Um, So she said to me, Dad, you might want to watch this series called How to Become a Cult Leader. Okay. Well, in case you got the message wrong, I don't want to become a cult leader. She doesn't want me to become a cult leader. It's a kind of a tongue-in-cheek challenge, uh, expose of what happens within different cults. Well, the common thread I discovered, I watched the series, very interesting, I recommend it to you. Uh, In each of these cult movements, there is an excessive amount of money that lands up in the cult leader's pocket. That's what happens every time. Different messages, uh, different approaches, so-called different causes. But in each and every instance, the cult leader becomes mega wealthy. And what puzzles me, what puzzles me is that many men and women who say they will never get caught up in a cult, get caught up in a cult. And so you have naive men and women who are manipulated to willingly empty their pockets under the influence of a, I was going to use the word gifted, but it's not a spiritual gift. It's a talent. It's a skill to extract money from people uh, for their own benefit. People literally fall over each other to give their hard-earned cash to the so-called cause. It's actually a smokescreen for the cult leader to be stashing money Stashing goods away for him, and he's living in the lap of luxury. Sadly, sadly, and I think we need to be aware of this, that also can happen and does happen far too often in local churches. And what I found very interesting is that most of these cults actually start within the context of a local church and a particular leader. So there's a kind of a disclaimer right at the beginning of the service. At Central, we will not embark on any efforts of exploitation. And if we do that, you need to challenge us. We will not do that. We will not be involved in extortion or manipulation to extract money from you. We don't want to do that. Our motivation, try to share this last week in the message, is at the core of these two chapters must be our motivation, uh, that which moves us to generosity 
Because we are beneficiaries of the redeeming work of Christ. And so at the center of these two chapters is uh, chapter 8 verse 9. Uh, Paul saying to these Corinthians, me saying to the centralites, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so Paul is saying over here, and I repeat what I said last week, there is no need to drive the Corinthians, there's no need to drive any believer with a whip or a stick regarding generosity. Because every true believer can do no other, and here's the point, pursue Christ-likeness. We are beneficiaries of His redeeming work, not only in terms of objective standing before God, but we are beneficiaries because of the subjective change that takes place in our hearts. Illustration I used last week, for the true believer, the sponge is not dry. It's full to overflowing. And so the remaining discussion from Paul here to the Corinthians includes a God-given principle, and I'm going to touch on that in a minute, and then he's going to give some practical advice to encourage them, and of course us, in the way that we are generous, in the way that we give to those in need. So number one, my first point this morning, I want to ask a question. Who should be involved in the handling of finances? We're a gathered community, and we took up an offering uh, just a few minutes ago. Many people give money. Uh, via EFT and, and QR codes or SnapScan, those kind of things. So we, we've got to ask the question, the money that comes into the Central Baptist Church, who should be involved in the finances? Now I want to tell you a story. So, so, so my father-in-law also uh, was a pastor, still alive, 93 almost. And he has told us many stories over the years uh, of his experience in ministry. So as a young pastor, he was called to a church uh, in Zimbabwe, in fact, uh, Rhodesia back in those days. He arrived at this new congregation, and he was still a young man, a young pastor, and, and he asked the treasurer at the monthly executive meeting for a finance report. That was what he did. That's what he grew up with. Well, no written report was available. The treasurer gave a verbal report. So much is coming during the month, so much has been spent during the month, and we've got so much money in the bank. Well, this went on for a number of months, until one day, uh, my dad-in-law got a call from the local bank manager. And the bank manager, manager said to him that the church was now in default with the bond that they held over the church manse. Well, my dad-in-law got a fright, he immediately went to the bank, and this to discover that no activity on the church account had taken place for months. No money in, no money out. No activity had happened. No payments had been made on the mortgage. When the treasurer was confronted, he admitted that he had been using the weekly income that had come through the offering bags. No no EFTs in 1960. Carol was born up there, and, and this was 1960 before she was even born. And he said uh, he'd been using the weekly income to bet on the horses. But he said, but he said, hoping for a big win so he could pay the church back. 
he was going to pay back the money. But my point is this. You're going to see in this passage why Paul meticulously identifies those men who will be involved in the handling of this gift that will be from the Corinthian church to those in need in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. So the first is he identifies in verse 16, he thanks God for Titus. He was put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care In other words, there's a demonstration of testimony for the concern for the people of God. We read elsewhere in Titus chapter 1 verse 4 that Titus is Paul's true son in the faith. There's a testimony, there's evidence of true conversion. He was a trustworthy believer. He did not serve for any personal advantage. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 18. He was not about self-enrichment. He had become a regular companion of the Apostle Paul. He was not a fly-by-night. Got to be careful in the church. Got to get to know each other. Got to understand uh, testimony and reputation. He was a regular companion, a partner and fellow worker, chapter 8, verse 23. Then he introduces another person, an unnamed Christian, who would accompany Titus in verse 18 and 19. He was a person, we can see, with a credible reputation, well known in all the churches for preaching the gospel. In fact, if you ever look at verse 19, not only that, he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us. Recognition, appointment, appreciation, to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered to by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us. Do you see the importance placed on the people appointed to handle money? No one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of of man. So members and leaders of Central, we always need to be thinking about who should be involved in handling the finances in the church. It's not just anybody who's available. It's not just anybody who puts their hand up. It's a person who is known to be trustworthy. It's a person who has a credible reputation. It is a person, to put it in sort of our language, not looking to grease his or her own palm. It's a person who clearly seeks to do that which is honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And so I try to sum that up in a sentence. What kind of person, what kind of people should we be appointing, should we be entrusting with this task of the money bags? It's a person, it is people who have a God-honoring, impeccable integrity. Now I want to add something. Because there isn't a single person that may not or could not be tempted in a situation of vulnerability. It's absolutely important to avoid any temptation, never one person. Always, always at least two people. Holding each other accountable. So, 
Many years ago, before I was in ministry, the local church I was at uh, suddenly saw a drop in giving. Uh, there's normally a pattern. You can see uh, that unfolds in the church. It didn't make any sense to the leaders of the church until one Sunday evening, while counting the offering, it was the practice after the evening service to fetch the offering bags from the walk-in safe, and a couple of deacons would pour the money out onto a table, and they would spend some time counting the money. Well, one of the deacons noticed on the particular evening, in fact, it was my brother-in-law, he put a check in the bag in the morning, but it was absent in the evening. Well, the deacons realized that someone was going into the walk-in safe, and the practice at that particular church, we didn't have such an elaborate sound system. The sound system had to be fetched out of the safe before every service. So the assumption, the suspicion was that somebody going in to get the sound equipment was digging into the bags, grabbing cash, stashing the stash, the uh, cash in their pockets. Well, the deacons changed the place of safekeeping. And guess what? The giving was back on track. My point is, people in a vulnerable situation may be tempted with good intention to pay back the money. But that doesn't justify the taking of the money. And so I am laboring this point a little bit because it's important that members of a church, that friends of a church, understand that a church in Yadid Central, we have guidelines in place. We scrutinize monthly financial reports. People are accountable for every cent that is spent in the church. That happens at a monthly leaders meeting. We are careful about who is involved in money. And I want to add something also, in case you don't know this, that not one of the pastors have access to bank accounts or bank statements. We don't look at it. We don't get involved in that at all. We have a finance committee that sits down once a year that budgets very carefully. And any extraordinary expenditure outside of the budget must always be approved, is always approved by finance committee. And I'm hoping, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to show you, we, we're trying to be responsible. We're trying to act with integrity. Well, that's my first point. Paul now continues in this long passage with some repetition. I don't know if you noticed that. There was the repeating of the same things again and again. And, and he's doing that, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, uh, regarding the ministry of the saints, which prompts the question, why, why, why repeatedly speak about money? And so I asked the question, my second point. Should we repeatedly talk about money? Now let me show you in the passage how he does so. Paul had already mentioned in chapter 8 verse 11, uh, readiness, their readiness, the Corinthians' readiness. Then again in chapter 9 verse 2, for I know your readiness. So he's kind of said it and he says it again. And then he's already reported the willingness of the people of Macedonia and, and he informs them to avoid being humiliated. So there's another reminder, chapter 9 verse 3, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said uh, you would be. So Paul feels it necessary, verse 5, to send the brothers ahead to arrange in advance, the gift they had promised. 
even though he acknowledges in chapter 9 verse 1, he uses the word superfluous. Not really necessary to do this, but he does it anyway. They know it, but they need to be reminded. They need to be urged. Why? Is it just forgetfulness? There's a quote from Matthew Henry, which I found very challenging and very true. He said, the duty of ministering to the saints, this is in terms of our generosity to others, is so plain that there would seem no need to exhort Christians to it. Like we know we ought to do it. Yet, he adds the further explanation, he says, yet self-love contends so powerfully against the love of Christ that it is often necessary to stir up their minds by way of remembrance. In other words, what he's saying here, any one of us believers is so easily, repeatedly drawn back, sucked back into being consumed with ourselves and become stingy. We become numb and blind and insensitive to the love of Christ, the need of others, and the generosity that is required. And so... Should we repeatedly remind each other? Yes. I don't think we do so very often at Central. We do it when it comes up in the course of a particular book that we're studying, and and I think that that's right. We ought to remind each other, but importantly, and I want to use words, Paul's words over here, we encourage people, we encourage each other to give as a willing gift, not as an exaction. We're not squeezing blood out of a stone. You know, that's not our intention at all. Exploiting well-meaning people is not what we want to do. Engaging in practices of extortion, and I've seen it in the context of churches, via emotional manipulation is not something we want to do. Lying to raise money in the church is abominable. In fact, all of these things are despicable and dishonoring to the Lord. Leads me to my third point. How then should we urge one another God's way? See, to give money away and, and budgets are tight, life is difficult, and so there is a sense, particularly for the unspiritual mind, to think that if I'm going to give money away to somebody in need, or if I'm going to give money to a church or a particular gospel ministry, it's like throwing money down the drain, throwing money away. Well, that's what I would call a worldly principle. The worldly principle says that I need to take whatever I've got to get everything I want and to make sure that once I've got everything I want to be setting aside every spare cent, stashing it away so that those cents can become rands and those rands eventually become big bucks. God's principle is different. That's what we're going to see now in this remaining part of this message. Verse 6 of chapter 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Well, think about that statement. When Paul is saying when we give following God's principle, it's a seed sown. Now what happens when you sow a seed? 
Well, from a seed, a valuable increase may be expected. He uses an analogy from farming. Uh, One tomato, that's about the only thing I ever planted in my life was tomatoes. One tomato seed planted produces many tomatoes with thousands of seeds. That's the principle. So it's a principle repeated in the book of Proverbs. Chapter 11, verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Verse 25. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. Chapter 22, verse 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. Now I've got to clarify, I'm not promoting prosperity teaching. In other words, uh, uh, give me your Rolex watch and, you know, uh, uh, uh. That's, that's not what Paul is suggesting over here. But God's way and God's principle is different to the world's way of tight-fistedness of any one of us being consumed with ourselves. And the valuable increase is not a guaranteed return cash in your pocket. That's not what he's speaking about here. It could be, of course, that God blesses you in your business, in your career, in, in whatever you're doing. And, and I've no doubt that God's good hand on God's people happens again and again and again. But what he's saying over here, sometimes that return will be an eternal return in terms of gospel fruit. It could be, and I don't know about you, but isn't it a wonderful thing to give somebody a gift and you see that they really appreciate it? There's a delight, there's a joy, there's a contentment, there's an appreciation, being part of what God is doing. And something else that this thing has taught me over the years is to trust God. In giving, in budgeting to help others, it helps us to trust God in the provision that he gives to us. And so there is a return. The valuable increase is not about as the prosperity churches would teach. It's, it's a variety of other uh, things and maybe the blessing on your business or career. Well, with giving as sowing as a principle, there are some practical realities that follow, uh, which leads me to my next point. Not only is giving... Uh, sowing, but giving is personal. Verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I think what Paul is saying over here is that given, giving should not be impulsive. It ought to be something that we consider prayerfully, making a decision after we've thought through it, what is it that we will give? How will we give? To whom will we give? And, and we must apply our minds landing with a particular plan. We need to be careful to just respond to an emotional appeal at a particular place or from a particular person. Find out about the cause or the person or the particular ministry that you are generously giving to. Find out about the individuals in that particular place and in that particular ministry. And once you've made the decision that, of course, is the leading of God in that whole process, have a line item on your budget. Specify recipients in your bank account. It, it, it's a considered opinion with conclusions. Do you thought ought to be given to circumstances, your own circumstances? You can't give beyond what you've got. Isn't that true? The circumstances of those that you are aware of. And then, of course, we must be aware of our commitments. And I must say this to the local church. 
but we, we really believe, I'm convinced, I believe that we ought to be led of the Lord in the way that we use all that He has entrusted us with. When you land on the decision, and Paul makes it very clear here, you implement your plan giving freely, not grudgingly or reluctantly with a heavy heart, cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. I learned something when I was a student at Baptist College. So I went to study after I was married, uh, second career, if you like, uh, 29 years old, uh, already had the responsibilities of a wife, gave up my job, and, and so they were difficult years financially, very difficult. I got a job on a Saturday uh, teaching some engineering subjects, um, worked as a youth pastor in a local church part-time, but, but it was hard. Our principal taught us, and I remember this lesson, anybody that helps you, any gift that you receive, you need to see that that person as a channel of blessing, that that person is an instrument in the hand of God. So any gift you receive is not that person. That person is just a channel. And I say this to those of you who do give to other people. Don't see yourself as, as, as the hero. God is the provider. Whether you're the giver or whether you are the receiver, the recipient. Every gift, every blessing ultimately from God. Number three. Giving is a means of spiritual growth and usefulness. Verse 8, chapter 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Again, he's just saying here, God is the all-sufficient one. He provides for our spiritual needs, our temporal needs. We need to be content. Those of us, we're all different. God gives us what we can handle, what we actually have need of. And to do the good he wants us to do. So I used an illustration. Just recently I saw um, some men in our church. They uh, have become Gideons. You know what a Gideon is? They are businessmen who, of their own accord, uh, in their own time, with the money that they've earned, that they donate, and they go to different places and they give Bibles away. And these men in our church went recently on a trip down to KwaZulu-Natal and uh, gave thousands of Bibles away. And I remember standing one night around the fire here just listening To the delight and the pleasure that those men experienced in giving. Doing a good work. And what does that do to one's spiritual life? It encourages you. God has provided for me. God has blessed me. I'm going to bless others. I find delight in that. I find usefulness in the kingdom of God. A couple of days later, I saw another message. I think it came around on our elder group that uh, there was a young boy uh, at a school that they went to who pulled out a, a, a worn-out Gideon Bible from his pocket and said, this was given to me in grade 7. I've been using it ever since. Well, Paul goes on, and just to comment, speaking of God in verse 9, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, and then he makes a strange connection. He says, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your need, your seed for sowing and increase the harvest 
of your righteousness. And w- w- what he's doing over here is, is he turns to the farming analogy, the picture of sowing and harvesting, quoting from Psalm 112 verse 9. And he shows you that giving, generosity on the one hand, and practical righteousness are connected. I can't just leave that with you. And then I think I have another two comments. Uh, giving produces gratitude to God. That's an important aspect of helping those in need. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. Verse, this is verse 11, uh, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgiving uh, to God. Double barrel benefit. People's needs have been met. God has been exalted. God has been glorified. God is getting the thanks. Which leads me to my final point. Giving glorifies God. I want to go slowly here. There's a subtlety that must be identified because there is a temptation in all of us, I believe, to want the applause. Generosity ought to be carried out in such a way that the receiver understands this is God's provision and the giver understands that this is God's stewardship. If you ever look at verse 13, by the approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God. So my point is this, is that I like Baptist type giving. It's anonymous. We don't have a record anywhere that says X got so-and-so and they can deduct it, deduct it from SARS. We don't do that. I think you can do that in the U.S. Ours is anonymous giving. Uh, uh, those who do identify are only known to our treasurer and bookkeeper, and, and, and that's it. Uh, anonymous giving. It's as unto the Lord. God gets the glory. God gets the thanks. And, and, and that kind of giving, I believe, comes in the context of humility. It must come because we must deflect attention away from ourselves. Not pressing for plaques or accolades or ego stroking. Every one of us ought to know that everything we have is from God. Submission and obedience, I think, are Siamese twins that live in the environment of humility. The fruit of the true and sincere confession of the gospel of Christ. A sincere confession is not just acknowledging and believing uh, historically that there was uh, Jesus who lived and died and rose again and ascended. That confession is also about Paul understanding, you and me understanding, to be the foremost among sinners, standing in the need of Christ and his salvation. Well, conclusion. The conclusion here regarding generosity ends with a doxology. Verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Well, what gift is he speaking of? Is it the gift collected by the churches for the churches? Some commentators say so. I don't think so. It's thanks to God. Not for stuff. It's thanks to God 
for Jesus, who is the inexpressible gift. He is the indescribable gift of God in this world, a gift we sinners who are recipients of His grace have reason to be overwhelmingly thankful. And so, my final comment in this message, and we'll move away now as we go on in further studies, away from the generosity and finance. Giving patterns in our lives ought to be inextricably intertwined with Jesus and His grace. No merit, no ego stroking, no applause. Jesus saving us from our sin. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would continue to move within us. And, Lord, uh, more than anything else, any one of us, Lord, stand in need of your grace, gift of salvation. And thank you, Lord, for many, perhaps even all, I'm not sure, yet this morning, who know you and have come to see the abundance of your kindness and generosity to them in that great gift of redemption. Thank you for the prospects of not only life here on earth, walking as children, uh, sons and daughters of the living God, but Lord, the prospect of an eternity at your very throne, being able to experience, Lord, the immediate presence of the almighty and majestic and glorious Father God in heaven. And thank you for that. And Lord, stir within our hearts again, just gratitude uh, of that, even that hymn that we sing so often, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And, and Lord, if there be any here today who feel uh, outside of the scope of having experienced the blessing of your gracious and good hand of forgiveness, won't you be at work in them and even help us, if we can in any way, be part of their journey in coming to know you and to walk with you, we pray. We pray for us as a church. Lord, keep us, uh, we pray, in your hand. Uh, Keep us from, Lord, any selfishness. And not only concerned about ourselves, not only as individuals, but as a church. Help us to be mindful of those who are in particular need, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.